College, I uh, attended a conference that was held at a facility for which I was working as a security guard. So being there, I, uh, I just listened to, I had to patrol around and make sure everything is fine, and I would peek in and listen to what the conference was about. It was a conference on leadership. And one of the, one of the presenters um, spoke about the importance of having a creation story for everything you do in, in the business world. Being able to talk about your business, about your idea, about how it came into being. And I guess in the business world, business people love to, 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 to hone in and, and freshen up and, and work on their product presentation and, and sell what, what their business is doing. And a way to, to do that, according to this presenter, was work on your creation story. Tell how, how your idea was generated, how you came about with this product, and what caused it to, to, to come to where it is now. Interesting concept, I thought, for, for the business world to encourage uh, business people to think through their creation story as a way to sell more of their products. Interestingly, when, uh, when I visit with, with guests and visitors who, who come and attend our, our, our services, by the way, when, when people turn in their guest cards and put in their emails or phone numbers, I love to shoot them a quick email, send them a, a thank you note, and also offer to meet up for coffee just to get to learn about their life just to get to know about who, who they are and how they, how they got to this point in life and how it all started. And, and particularly, one of the things I always love to hear is, uh, how did you, if you're a Christian, how did you become a Christian? Just love to hear how it all started. There's something in the human nature that is pricked and curious about origins, about beginnings, about the creation story, if you will. And it's not just the business world who likes to do that. It's not just your pastor who likes to do that to find out the origins and the, the way of life. But actually, there's something in the Bible that leads us to inquire and to go back and to remember our origins. And this morning, the theme that I would like for us to look at is remember your Creator. Remember your Creator. Would you open Scripture to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12? We are reading from verse 1 to verse 8. If you are uh, new to our congregation, if you did not bring a Bible with you, you may find a Bible provided in the chair in front of you. You may find this passage on page number 559 in the Pew Bibles. As you're turning your way there, and I encourage you to do so, I want to remind you that we are about to close, about to finish the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been in it for the past 15 weeks, and uh, we have one more sermon to go next week. Lord willing, if, if the Lord keeps us alive, we will conclude next week the book of Ecclesiastes. But today, as we approach aggressively the end of the book, let's remember and let's read how the, the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is going to hone in and bring the whole book to a conclusion. Now, I said last week, we started this descent, this conclusion, uh, not just last week, but actually, uh, actually, the, no, it was chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 7. Um, we started that descent already, and, and we continue today to descend, and next week we'll land. And here's the word of the Lord for us this morning as we are preparing to land the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember your Creator. In the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, 
When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, and the golden bowl is broken, and the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to, to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for revealing yourself a way of looking at the world that is counterintuitive, that may sound like depressing if all we look at is this life. Father, help us to understand your truth and your revelation of this life through your perspective and through your eyes. Father, speak to us, speak to our hearts through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that is among us right now. We need the Spirit because in our own hearts we have a tendency to darken and to misunderstand because of our own sinfulness. Father, reveal Yourself to us in a fresh way. We pray for Your glory and honor. Amen. Well, friends, this text that I just read uh, belongs to a section that starts in chapter 11, verse 7. And in, in verse 8 of chapter 11, there's this command that, uh, that calls us to rejoice. I want to remind you, chapter 11, verse 8. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember. Remember what? Remember that the days of darkness will be many. In the, in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the life of faith is characterized by the ability to rejoice in a life characterized by vanity. In a life that God says through, his, through the preach of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, even in a, like, in a life like this, the people of God, the life of faith is able to rejoice. Even though this life is cursed with vanity, and more so, even though this life is cursed with days of darkness, nevertheless, the life of faith produces in us the ability to rejoice in this life. And such joy is a gift of God. He gives us the ability to rejoice in this life, whether we are encountering the vanity of life or the dark days of life. So the call to remember that the days of darkness will be many is not aimed at spoiling our joy. He is not saying, rejoice now, try to, to have as much of it, of, of it now, because later you won't be able to. That's not the point. It's rather saying, live and pursue a life of rejoicing, knowing that there will be days of darkness and they will be many. Commit now to a life of rejoicing that will carry you even through those days of darkness. But how can we prepare for those days of darkness? What will carry us through those days of darkness? In chapter 12, the preacher of Ecclesiastes gives us another remembrance, another command to remember. Remember not just the days of darkness, that they will be many, Here's a second command to remember. Remember also your Creator. In other words, if we are to pursue a life of rejoicing, we must remember not only the days of darkness, that they will be many, we must remember our Creator. So this morning, I would like first to look at this command, a very basic command. Remember your Creator. 
there's a few points I'd like to bring out as we look at this very, very basic command. There are many there are people today, and many of them, and many of us, um, who have a, a, a tradition of remembering things in life. We remember our parents, don't we? That's why we have Mother's Day, to remember our parents, our moms. That's why we have Father's Day, to remember our dads. We remember uh, people who, who have sacrificed for the freedom of this country. We have Memorial Day. Or we have Veterans Day. We have a day when we remember the, the freedom, the, the independence of this nation. That's why we have Fourth of July. In, in, our, in our life, in our culture, we have a way and an encouragement to remember uh, people who are important or people who have influenced us. Do you know that even the Bible encourages us to remember the people who have influenced us? Spiritually? Hebrew, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8, says... Remember your leaders. Those, and he's not, he's not talking about here about national leaders. He says, those who spoke to you the word of God, remember them. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Do you know that Jesus also instructed his followers to remember him? On the Last Supper, that Jesus ate with his disciples, recounting the, the, the story of the Exodus and actually redefining that story by saying that he is going to be the ultimate Passover, the ultimate Exodus. Jesus told his disciples to do this act of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat and eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We do that as an act of remembrance. And when we do that act of remembrance, we, we proclaim. And here the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes commands us to remember our Creator. Now, he could have said, remember your God. And he would have Nailed it. He would, have, he would have spoken truthfully. Remember your God. But that's not what he says here. He chooses to describe God not by the word God, but by the word creator. Remember your creator. Now, the Hebrew word for your creator here is actually in the plural. Remember your creator creator, but he's the plural. Reminds us of Genesis 1, 26, when God, before man was created, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Who is the plural? Yes, we believe God is one. But he speaks about the act of creation in the plural. Oh, friends, I think it is a hint and a prep work for what will be revealed much later in, in, the, in the history of God's revelation that the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created mankind in his image and likeness is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the Corinthians about the people who, um, who think that there's many gods out there. And Paul says, for us, there's one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. Romans eleven thirty six says the same, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, do you realize that the 24 angels who are worshiping God around the throne, there's 24 angels sitting around the throne of God. They're worshiping God right now. We don't see them. They're worshiping God, and, and their song of praise to God is this. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, 
Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. All the things that we see, all the things that have been created by God, they came into existence by the will of God. Friends, remember how Genesis describes the creation of the world? And God said, let there be. And there was. This truth, friends, is enough to solicit the worship of the 24 angels, of the 24 elders in heaven. This truth that God is a creator of all things is enough to solicit our amazing and ultimate adoration and worship of God. This picture of God, the creator, presents God as a fountain of all being, of all existence. The universe is a product of His will. The universe is a product of His word. The universe is a product of His speech. Amazing. Psalm 36, 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their hosts. Friends, the one whom the preacher of Ecclesiastes commands us to remember is a God who created all things, including ourselves. He's our creator. He's our maker. Friend, if in chapter 11 the preacher presented the life of faith as a life of rejoicing, in chapter 12 the preacher of Ecclesiastes presents a life of faith as a life of intentional and focused remembrance of our Creator. I love how the Dutch theologian Hermann Bavink describes the importance of the doctrine of creation. Why should we remember God as Creator? Bavink says, Scripture's teaching of creation is not presented as a philosophical explanation of the problem of our existence. That's not why God create, uh, revealed to us the, the doctrine of creation, just to, to tell us the, 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 and give us an explanation for the philosophical problem of our existence. While it, he says this, while it does give an answer to the question of origins, its true significance is religious and ethical. Positioning us properly before God, the doctrine of creation points us to the very majesty, goodness, wisdom, and love of God. It inspires praise and thanksgiving. It induces humility and meekness before God and provides consolation in time of suffering. The teaching of creation strengthens people's faith and confirms their trust in God. Friends, the simple ability to call God our Creator, my Creator. And just pause and stop there. Don't go on to other things. Just calling Him my Maker. And let that thought sink in. Now, when should you remember your Creator? Remember Him in your youth. Verse 1, why should we remember our Creator in the days of our youth? Well, the answers to that are not hard to figure out. Um, there's a number of, of answers we could give. There's some answers hinted in our text. Let me give some answers why I think it is important for us to remember our Creator in the time of our youth. It's because the season of youth or young age, and here I mean young adults, from teenagers to young adults, or even children, but especially teenagers to young adults. It's because it's a time when we actually are tempted to defy our creatureliness the most. We think that we can do whatever we want with our lives, don't we? The season of, of young adults seems to be so powerful, so free. 
You can do whatever you want. Whatever you want to dream up in your mind, pursue. Life is yours to take, to pursue, right? Remember those speeches at commencement, at graduation, that tried to give this, you know, pump you up, that life is before you, it's yours to live, live out your dream? Oh, friend, we need to be reminded. Remember your Creator. It's a better way to prepare us to live and start adult life by reminding or remembering our Creator. Or friends, think about those who, think about parent, parents, all of you are parents of, of teenagers or, or young adults or even of, 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 of adults, of older adults. And perhaps when they were young, when your kids were young adults or teenagers, remember all the troubles and all the pain? Why is it that if you were to look at, at the pain level of a parent at the whole spectrum of life, the one season in his life as a parent, when he is at, the, at risk of, of experiencing the most pain, is when their kids are going through teenage years or young adult life. Why? Why is it that teenage years and, and young adult life is the, the season of life when we are at most risk for making the worst decisions that will haunt us for the rest of our lives? Why? I don't know why people in old age don't have the same risk. Well, I think I do know why. I think the, test, the, the text will tell us why. A little later. Hold on. Don't check out before we get to the end of the passage. But, but the, the time of youth is a time of, of risk. When we make risky choices and, and bad choices because we think we are in control and we decide what to do with our lives. Friends, we also should think about, or, or young people should think about remembering their Creator while they're young because in young age, we actually think too little about aging and dying. We don't think about these realities. If we were to have a seminar on aging or how to prepare for aging and dying, I, I wonder if any young person would show up. Why? Because you think you, you're so far away from that season of life. Just enjoy things now, right? And yet the book of Ecclesiastes says, no, remember your Creator while you're young. What about people of old age? Should they remember their Creator? Oh, absolutely they should. They're people who have squandered most of their life, most of their adult life. Or they may have had some experience of religion when they were young, but then they rebelled and and for many decades of their prime time of life, they have walked in their own rebellion. I've heard recently a story of, of a person who shared that confession. And yet, in the, in the older, time, older stage of life, God brought this person back to himself. But should older people remember their Creator? Absolutely they should. But here's the point of the text. The point of the text is not to say only young people should do it or Old people should do it. The point of the text is to contrast and compare all, the young with the old and say, don't wait until you become old to remember your Creator. Remember your Creator while you are young. Why would we, you put off remembering your Creator until your life is already spent? When there's little energy left, when there's little or nothing of life, why would you remember your Creator only then? Look at, in this passage, we see this command to remember your Creator. There's three befores in this text. The first before is in, in verse 1. Before the evil days come, remember your Creator. There's another before in verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. And there's a final before in verse 6. Before the silver cordon is snapped. Remember your Creator before. Oh, my friends, so many people try to remember their Creator after. After it's too late. So many people would like to postpone the decision to remember their Creator after they have lived life for themselves. After they enjoy 
what this life can offer them. After they can be wild, after they can taste everything, they, plan, they plan to enjoy their, or remember their Creator after. But the Bible says, remember your Creator before. There's people who remember their Creator only when the day of trouble comes. The Bible says, remember your Creator before the day of trouble comes. There's some people who want to give God only the leftovers of their life. I love what Riley said. It is an awful mockery to suppose you can give the flower of your strength to the world and the devil and then put off the king of kings with the scraps and leavings of your hearts, the wreck and remnant of your powers. What a mockery that is to God. To give the devil and the kingdom of darkness the best of you and then leave the leftovers for him. What a picture. Don't give the most precious season of your life to that which will not comfort you in the later seasons of your life. Don't wait to seek after God until the, when, uh, until the days of evil come. Do it before. Chances are when the days of evil come, if you don't seek Him before, you may not seek Him after either because your heart could be so filled with bitterness and angriness that at that time you will want to have nothing to do with God. Seek Him before the day of trouble comes. But why? Why should you seek Him before the day of trouble comes? Well, verse, here's, there's two answers to that. The first, uh, there's two answers to the question why. Here's a, the first answer to the question why. Because of the frailty of aging, and we see this in verses 2 to 5, the preacher of Ecclesiastes gives perhaps one of the most, I'm going to say the word beautiful, although I, I don't, I'm not sure if it's the most appropriate word, one of the most beautiful pictures of aging that we see in the Bible. I'm not sure if the word beautiful is, is a good word because when we see the picture of aging, it's not a pretty picture. But yet, it's so poetic. If we live long enough, the one sure thing that our lives will experience is we will age. How should we think about aging? Here's a few pictures that the Bible, that God provides us about aging. And some of you here this morning will know what I'm talking about, firsthand experience. Uh, I was sharing with our, with our men at the men's prayer breakfast that I will be speaking this Sunday about aging. And one of them said, what do you know about aging? It was an older man who asked that question. Um, I said, you know, I, I don't as much as you do, but God knows. And I'm just going to be up there speaking God's word. So I'm not talking from my personal experience. I am simply talking from, the, from what God reveals. But some of you know what I'm talking about very hands-on, very practically. Verse 2, a picture from nature. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Now, you'd expect that after the rain comes, you will experience some sunshine. But here, the sun, the light, the moon, the stars darken. And even after the rain, there's more clouds coming. This imagery of the clouds returning after rain refers to a season when we're facing sorrow upon sorrows. One illness after another. One trouble after another. In other words, don't postpone to remember your Creator until the sorrows of life come one after another. In verses 3 and 4, we see a picture of a great house with entertainment, but in decline. Look at, look at these pictures. And by the way, as, as we read these pictures, there's all kinds of ways we could, we could find the symbolism to these images. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look at the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. Friends, we could, we could see here the, the keepers of the house re relating to the, to the, to the arms. Those who are supposed to protect the body, they can no longer write clearly because they tremble. Or, or, the, or the strong man, the, the legs, if that's what it refers to, they're, they're bent. They're no longer able to stand strong 
or the grinders he's because they're few could refer possibly to our teeth we're born without teeth into this world and we die without them often the process of aging that leaves us without teeth or we can look at the, those who look through the windows our eyes they're dimmed we no longer see clearly some of us need to get glasses early on we don't need to wait for age, old age to get glasses we need to have help in, in just the way we see. And the, the doors on the street are shut, possibly referring to the mouth. We could still look at each of these images and see, wow, each of these correspond with, with various major functions of our body that tend to decay. And yet, we see here a picture of a house that is deteriorating, that, that's breaking down. The hard thing about this picture is if it's just a house, you can fix it up. You can do a renovation on it. You can, you can make it as if it's brand new. But with this house, yeah, you, we might be able to fix some things for a while. But we will never be able to, to fix it as if it's brand new. There is no such thing. Notice, notice further in verse 5. One rises up at the sound of a bird, meaning we're no longer able to sleep well. Any of you know that? And the challenge, the next one, all the daughters of song are brought low. Again, a reference to possibly losing our hearing. We're no longer able to hear those who sing. In verse 5, we see a picture of fears. They are afraid of what is high, and terrors are in the way. One of the ways you know you're advancing in age is that your fears are increasing. We develop all kinds of fears. We become fearful of driving at night. Do I hear an amen on that? Or, or, or driving in, in the rain, or in poor conditions. We're becoming fearful of, of all kinds of things that once we... We were confident that we were able to do it, and we're just no longer able to do it. In verse 5, the picture goes back to nature. The almond tree blossoms. It's a picture of growing white hairs. Now, for some people, don't get to the blossoming because the, the branches fall off before they blossom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The grasshopper drags itself along. Have you seen a, a grasshopper dragging itself along? The grasshopper who's supposed to, to jump and be full of energy, no longer able to do so. He's not even able to walk nicely. He's dragging his legs. A picture of a man who used to run, who used to walk confidently. He's now barely walking and walking slowly. As we advance in age, we lose the ability to, to walk fast. In other words, as we, as we move towards aging, everything, everything deteriorates. Everything starts to fall apart. Now, I want to I address those among us who are already experiencing these signs of breakdowns in your earthly tent. Friend, the fact that these pictures are in Scripture present us with God's goodness and kindness to address our weaknesses. He knows them. The fact that we have this picture so colorfully presented, so poetically described, is a picture of God's kindness to, to remind you when you are experiencing those decays and those breakdowns, don't be surprised or don't act like God doesn't know what you're doing or why He's allowing these things. These things are part of the life that God has created. He knows what you're going through. Trust Him. For some, things start falling apart much earlier than for others. We don't get to decide the timing of these things. Just a few weeks ago, I found out that one of the families of parents in our Noah's Ark preschool program, they're in their mid 
or late 20s, early 30s, I'm not exactly sure. Um, and he was struck by a, a virus that actually led him to blindness in one of his eyes, possibly moving forward in, in, in both. He's just 30, mid-30s. We don't decide when these breakdowns happen in our lives. Living the life of faith doesn't spare us from such experiences and such loss. At the end of verse 5, we come back to where we start in verse 1. Verse 1, the preacher commanded us to remember your Creator before the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. In verse 5, we see desire failing. Look at verse 5. And desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. One of the reasons, I told you, I will tell you possibly why people in old age may not be at the same level of risk of bad decisions as people in their young age. Here's why, verse 5, is because desire fails. We simply no longer have the same desires as we had in young age. You can start with desiring for food, desire for success, desire for pleasure, desire for adventure, desire for wealth, desire for fame. Those things start to diminish. It's amazing, I hear from older saints, it's amazing how the things that you once thought were important, as you become older, they diminish in importance. Is that true? I hear, I, I hear it that that's true. I, have, I believe that that must be true if, if older saints are saying that. Desire fails. In other words, and here's a picture. From verses 2 to 5, we are told we will lose the ability to do the things we wanted to do. The end of verse 5 says, you will lose even the desire to do them. Do you see this picture? Oh, friends, the picture goes further. But let me just take a pause here. Why should you remember your Creator? Because of the frailty of aging. Remember your Creator. But there's a second part, why you should remember your Creator. Because of the certainty of death, verses 6 and 7. In verses 6, we see four images. There's a lot of images in, these, in, these, in this text. Four images just in one verse. The silver cord is snapped. The golden bowl is broken. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain. So the point is you cannot draw water from the fountain anymore. The wheel broken at the cistern. Again, the mechanism that draws water is broken. All these pictures are pictures of death. A valuable cord, which you wanted to keep intact, is broken. A, a very precious bowl, not of glass or, or other, other uh, semi-precious material, but gold, golden bowl, shattered. That which you use to bring up the water from the well is broken. You can't use it anymore. The precious, in other words, the preciousness and usefulness of life on earth comes to an end. And if that's not enough to help you, encourage you to remember your Creator, look at verse 7. The image of death turns to our very origins, to dust. Remember in Genesis 1, I mean Genesis 1 and 2, when God formed man, we are told in Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life and the man became a living creature. This is what God has done at the very beginning. He took dust, shaped it, breathed into it, and man was formed. Now in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, we see a reversal of creation. The dust, that means you and I, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. We are reminded that our bodies, that which we have taken great, great care of and fed and pursued, pleasured in, these bodies of ours are dust and will return to dust. And the life which was given to us by God will return to Him. The picture of death in verse 7 drives home in the most powerful way our need 
to remember our Creator. In verse 7, we are humbled to remember our humble origins, the dust of the earth. It is that dust with which the Creator, which the Creator took and formed us. And now at the end of our lives, the, the dust will return to its origins and the breath of God will return back to Him. And the preacher says, vanity of vanities in verse 8. The preacher arrives in verse 8 where he started off in chapter 1, verse 1. You might say, we haven't made much progress. For the last 15 weeks, you could have, we could have saved all this sermon series, 15 weeks, keep these sermons short, um, and you could have told us that from the very beginning. And the preacher would say, yes, but if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. I had to take you on this journey. I had to take you on this journey of experiencing everything in life to show you I have tried them all. I have tried all the things you want to try. I have tried to find pleasure in the things you try to find pleasure. And I have found them empty. They're vanity. They're transient. They're not permanent. Therefore, remember your Creator. The point of verse 8, it's as if he's saying, in the words of one of the, the people commenting on it, it says, nothing that we are offered under the sun is ours to keep. Therefore, remember your Creator. But what does it mean to remember your Creator? What does it mean to remember your Creator? Well, let me say what it does not mean to remember your Creator. It's not simply a mental act, like when we remember we have an appointment. It's not the simple act of remembrance like we do on Memorial Day or Labor Day or Fourth of July. The command to remember your Creator does not simply mean that we remember there is a Creator and think of Him from time to time. The command goes deeper. It refers to allowing the notion of God as Creator to shape our life and our handling of life. This kind of remembrance nurtures our commitment to God. This kind of remembrance helps us understand all of life under the right ownership of God. It also involves a conscious effort on our part to allow the great acts of God to shape our view of the present. As someone else noted, the command to remember our Creator means to drop our pretense of self-sufficiency and commit ourselves to Him who created us. At its best and strongest, remembrance can be a matter of passionate fidelity, a loyalty as intense as a psalmist towards his homeland. In, psalm, in one of the psalms, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, Jerusalem, if I do not set you above my highest joy. That kind of remembrance that the psalmist had towards Jerusalem, oh, friends, that's a kind of remembrance that we can have and should have towards our Creator. That's why remembering your Creator is more than simply remembering that He exists. Even the demons believe that. Remembering your Creator is more than remembering what He said. Even Eve in the garden when she was tested by the serpent remembered the words of her Creator but it didn't do her much good. Because even after remembering his words, Eve still ate of the tree. Remember your Creator from time to time will not cut it, will not be sufficient. Remember your Creator means that we shape our lives to reflect that we are owned by Him, that we were made by Him, and that we were made for Him. For some of us, Remembering your Creator means to respond to Him with repentance and faith. Because some of, some of us this morning, we have ignored God for a long, long, long time. And even if we have tried to remember Him from time to time, we've always lived our lives, you've always lived your life on your terms. You are the ultimate one in charge. You are the one who is driving the, 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 the car of your life. And God is calling you to
to remember your Creator. It literally means get off of your driver's seat and let Him take over. He created you. He made you. He knows what's in you. He knows the purposes for, for which He destined you. Let Him lead you. Oh, friend, realize that that is a hard thing to do for someone who worships ultimately himself. If, if in the bottom of your heart you worship creation, if you worship yourself or what this creation brings, you're going to have a terrible, terrible time giving up that seat and worshiping the Creator instead. I am amazed how often in the book of Acts, the, the apostles bring the doctrine of God create, God's creation in their evangelism. At one point in, in Acts 14, um, Paul and, and Barnabas uh, saw people worshiping the created things and, uh, and trying to set up these rituals of worshiping idols. And Paul and Barnabas say to them, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In Acts 17, when Paul is preaching to the, to the people in, in the Areopagus in Athens, Paul says and, and starts with the doctrine of God's creation, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself, himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Friends, we start our evangelism, we start the story of the gospel by going to God, the Creator, remembering that He is the Creator. And because He's the Creator, because we go there, the next thing, the, 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 the conclusion of that thought is, if He created it, it's His. He owns it. He has rights over it. When you give Him right over your life, you are not giving God a favor. You're not giving God that which is not His. You are returning that which you have stolen from Him. Do you understand that? When we, when we come back to God and remember that God wants our life, we return to Him that which was His by the fact that He created us and everything. That's why, dear friends, when we think about the gospel, when we think about the story of God providing a way of restoring us to Himself, we should always start with God, the Creator, because it establishes a foundation. He has the right over us. We don't need to bring arguments why we need to listen to God, why we need to pay attention to Him. Simply the fact that He created us is an enough answer for that. Well, friend, if you have lived your life as if your life is yours and yours alone, realize God calls you to remember Him as a, your Creator. He wants you to come back to Him. He wants you to be restored to Him. And He provided a way for you to be restored to this God, to this Creator, through His Son, Jesus. Through His Son who lived a perfect life, a life who, who, who lived a, in a perfect obedience to God, and yet He was crucified unjustly. He was crucified and died on a cross as a punishment for our rebellion so that rebellious people like us, like me, like you, like everyone here, could actually be restored to Him. That if you would return to Him in repentance and faith. Oh, friend, if you've never returned to God and you've never remembered your Creator in this way, I pray you do so today. Don't leave this place without remembering your Creator and being restored to Him, being, uh, being made right with Him. Amazing, in the book of Acts, remembering the Creator was also used when, when the believers were under pressure, when they were under threat, when they were under persecution. In Acts 4, they say, when they heard it, they lifted up their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then they kept on praying about delivering them and giving them courage to stand in the face of threat. Friends, we can bring the, the doctrine of God's creation to bear in our own lives, in our journey, no matter what we, bring, what we go through in life. 
How does it affect us to remember God as our creator? It reminds us that we are created. It reminds us we are created. We may think of ourselves as autonomous human beings needing to give account to no one, but the Bible says, no, you will give an account because someone else made you. And that means that he has the rights of owning us. We are owned by someone else. We're not our own. If we were our own, we could ultimately do whatever we ultimately wanted. But if we are not our own, if someone else has the rights over us, what we do with our lives matter. It matters. It may not matter to you. You may think it doesn't matter to anybody. It matters to the God who created you. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses challenged his people with their disobedience. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses said to, to the people who disobeyed God, said, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Yet they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? It's amazing that Moses challenged the disobedience of God's people by reminding them that God created them. The last thought I'd like to leave with you, a thought from Calvin as he reflected on the thought of God's greatness in creation. How can the thought of God penetrate your mind without realizing that since you are His handiwork, you have been made over and bound to His command by right of creation that you owe your life to Him. Our friends, the remembering our Creator reminds us that He owns us, He has rights over us, it helps us to reorient our lives to Him. May you and I and all of us live a life that remembers our Creator every day. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you that you challenge us to remember you as our Creator. Father, thank you that, that this remembrance is a medicine for our souls to face the distractions of our youthfulness and also to, to face the anxieties of aging. Father, help us Help us to be focused on you as our creator. And let that thought put away our distractions and our anxieties so that we may live a life of rejoicing, a rejoicing that is anchored in the fact that you and you alone have created us. May we live a life that pleases you, a life that brings glory to you, a life that reflects that we are owned by you. Oh, may you be glorified through our life together as a congregation. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.